You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. Hi, I'm Tim Robertson, and this is MyMac podcast number 258. It's time to reveal the winners of our Mac Ally contest. Yep, we're going to talk to both the winners right here on the show. And later, Guy, David, and myself have a lively discussion on ethics, conflict of interest, and integrity in the technology press. All that and a lot more. Please be sure to voice your opinion by sending email to feedback at mymac.com. Thanks for downloading. Enjoy. And welcome to My Mac Podcast number 258. I'm Tim Robertson, and I'm joined by David Cohen. Good evening. And Guy Searle. All the way from Virginia. Now, before uh, we actually started recording the show, I went ahead and called via Skype our contest winners. Remember, we're having a contest. Right. Contests are always fun. I love contests. Especially when it doesn't cost you anything. That's the best kind of contest, I think. I, <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think that's probably the best. Now, remember, we were giving away not one, but two of the EcoFan Pro laptop stands from Mac Ally. And let's go ahead and run my conversation with the two winners. Uh, the first one was Bob Lewis, and the second one was Alyssa Paselli. Now, before we begin that, though, the conversation with Alyssa ends abruptly. And what happened was Comcast... In all their infinite wisdom, decided yeah. I didn't need internet connectivity for about 10 minutes. So we're actually getting started on this show a little bit later than I had planned. I was trying to save time, get the, the winners, call them up, let them know before the 6 o'clock hour when we start recording. And it didn't help because Comcast just kind of killed me. So you'll hear it in the conversation with Alyssa that it just stops. And it wasn't anything on our, her end. It actually wasn't anything to do with Skype. It was all Comcast. For once. <laughs> For once, it wasn't Skype. It was Comcast. <laughs> so uh, let's play those uh, calls real quick, and we'll be right back. Hello? Hi, is Bob there? Yeah, this is him. Hey, Bob. Tim Robertson from MyMac.com. How are you? Hey, Tim. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. Not as well as you, because uh, you're one of our winners this week uh, for the EcoFan Pro from MacAli. Oh, that is awesome. Congratulations. I, I, I listened to the podcast and it said, if it said unknown, pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> did it say unknown? Yeah, sure did. That's because I'm unknown. Most people don't know who I am. And, you know, it's a sad life, but I get along. So this is a, a $40 laptop stand. It looks pretty cool. It's made out of bamboo. It's got some fans in it that you could plug into the USB port on your computer and uh, works with up to a 17-inch notebook. What's that? Do you have a MacBook? Yeah, I have a uh, I have a 15 inch, the older one, like you were talking about on one of your podcasts that you upgraded, uh, and you, I have a 13 inch MacBook Pro also. That, that older one, I can't speak for the newer ones because I don't have a newer one yet. Um, although that's coming here within the next couple of weeks, but that older oh. one uh, that I still use on a daily basis, that puppy gets hot. Oh yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I've got some. It's some generic laptop stand thing that it it just sits in my lap and the computer sits on top of that. And I end up having looks like kind of this honeycomb thing going on in my legs if I have shorts on. And it works, but it's not very comfortable. And it and it, it keeps the heat away from me, but it doesn't do anything to dispel the heat. And right. I think this EcoFan Pro looks like it, it actually will dispel the heat with those fans built in. All right. Well, 
right. So uh, what do you do with your Mac most of the time? Oh, uh, a little bit of everything. I'm, um, uh, gosh, everything from uh, doing some uh, iPhone coding to uh, surfing the web to... Well, let's yeah. talk about the iPhone. iPhoto, iMovie. Let, let's talk about the the iPhone coding a little bit. So you're trying to create your own app. Uh, yes. Well, actually, I actually got to do it for uh, for my company, which has been pretty awesome. But uh, my personal one, I haven't gotten anywhere with. No. Is it, is it just the idea, or you just you do it for a living? You don't want to come home and and continue what you were doing at work. Oh no, just just not enough time. But it's it just uh, for I would like to you know make a little money on the side. But it's pretty much uh, what I my idea was just to you know get in there, put some in the app store, and if I made a little money to support my Mac habit, that'd be uh, that'd be fine. Yeah, I know what you mean. It would be nice if you know big words would make at least enough so I could buy a new Mac. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet, but that's a that's a discussion for another day. Well, I wanted to call you and uh, personally congratulate you before I bring the rest of the guys on the show and i still have one more call to make but you were the first and uh congratulations all right thanks a lot i appreciate it appreciate you listening to the show bob take care okay thanks a lot Tim. bye-bye right. okay so that was bob lewis he was our first winner and here's our second Alyssa paselli and we're going to give her a call on skype and hopefully like bob she's home pick up Alyssa. Hello. Hi, is Alyssa there? Speaking. Hi, Alyssa. This is Tim Robertson with the MyMac Podcast. Oh, my gosh. Hey, congratulations. You're one of our winners for the EcoFan Pro from Mac Ally. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations. It's uh, kind of nice to get something for free, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we appreciate you listening to the show. What kind of Mac are you using it with? I have a MacBook. Ah, which one? The, um, when did I buy it? August of 2008. Oh, so it's not that old. Any uh, so it's the white one. Do you kind of regret not getting the the metallic one now? No, my son has that. He's got the newer MacBook, the MacBook Pros. Mm-hmm. So he's got the uh, he's got the the metal one. So will the Eco Fan? It's made out of bamboo. Will it fit your decor at all? Not at all. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't fit mine either. But I still kind of want. I don't have one myself. And the more I look at it, it's it's a really pretty looking laptop stand. And uh, very handy because it's got those fans built right in that you just plug into your USB port and it sucks the heat right away from your lap. Right. I've always wanted to get something like that because especially in the summer, you know, oh, when you yeah. work with the laptop on your lap. So, well, you I know, even, like a pillow or something on my lap first. Yeah. And that's just not comfortable. It starts sweating no. and yeah. No, it's not. Well, my wife and I decided that we weren't going to have any more children after the fourth one. <laughs> And I said, well, I'll just stop using a laptop stand with right. my first-generation MacBook Pro, and it seems to have taken care of the problem. That's so. right. That's right. <laughs> it's just I an added like, benefit. Yeah, I just feel like sometimes, you know, it just burns the flesh. I got these red marks on my leg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's not healthy. Yeah, this will be great. Thank you. Well, it should be uh, winding its way through either UPS or FedEx. I don't know how they're going to ship it because the company mm-hmm. is going to send it. Mac Ally is going to send it directly to you. Otherwise, okay. if they would have sent it to me, I have to pay postage, and I didn't want to do that. I'm cheap. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to call you, and I appreciate you answering the phone. I know it probably came up unknown, and, um, yeah. oh, boy, who's this? Who's calling now? Yeah, well, I was, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about it, and then I totally forgot because I'm you know, in the middle of making dinner. 
And uh, I hope, it, you know, you almost don't answer when you see that. You know, I was going to say, are you happy with your long-distance service? But <laughs> It would have been quick. <laughs> Nobody gets those calls anymore, do they? No, long-distance companies, so. they're gone. No, because the long-distance is included in your phone. Yeah, well, with a cell phone, there is no such thing as long-distance. It's all minutes. Right. Yep. Right. Right. Speaking of phones, do you use an iPhone yet? I absolutely do. Yeah, you like it? Oh, I love it. What's the favorite app that you have out there on there? Oh, boy. I know there's a lot uh, to choose from. Let me go get it because there's this game that I downloaded and it's free. Oh, that's free is always good. Up. Oh, it's like so addictive. It takes like 30 seconds to play, but it's so addictive. Right? Okay, I'm looking at my phone right now. Right now I use a lot the MLB app. Yep. You know, it's $10 and well worth it if you're a baseball fan. Oh, yes. Um, this one's called Flood It. F-L-O-O-D-It. Flood It. Flood It. And it was free. Well, free is always good. It. I'm going yep, to look for it right now myself and download yeah. it. Yeah, it's just, it, you, you, you take 20, it takes 22 steps is what they give you. And what you do is you hit the color, like, like right now the upper left-hand corner is purple. And oh, they have a uh, flooded? Red or blue, yeah. Oh, it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube. Color. Yeah, you have to like, hit the colors to get the colors to match up next to each other, and you try to do it in as minimal, the minimal amount of steps as possible. It says it's got a million downloads already. Yeah, it, I don't remember where I saw it. It might have been on Twitter, um, but it was so addictive. Isn't That's one of the problems with the iPhone stuff that's out there. There's so much stuff, it's hard to find the good stuff, I think. Yeah. And, you know, when you finally find a solution or a solution for you to find the good apps, you bookmark it right away, and I'm going to go back to that site. Um, oh. I just downloaded it on my iPhone, Flood It. There's also a Flood It Pro. I don't know what right. the difference is. Um, I, I can't remember now. I did look into it. I might pay, it's like 99 cents. Yes. I think that's yeah, probably the difference. Yeah, I just buying it. Yeah, I think <laughs> it might be ad-free or something or a couple of more games. Hmm. So one day I had to get on there and, you know, for 99 cents, it's like, sure, I'll do it. Yeah, but you know the problem with the 99 cent games, and, and at least this happens to me, I'll buy one for 99 cents, and the next day I see another one and I buy that one. And at the end of the week, I look, because iTunes, I use PayPal, not a credit card. So mm-hmm. at the end of the week, I look at my PayPal and I'm missing like $12, and I'm like, where did it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the only thing I've had to pay for so far was the MLBF. Worth it, it, though. Gotten for free. Oh yeah, it was like that. It was ten bucks, but well worth it. Yeah. Um, everything else I've gotten for free. I mean, I use the Kindle one a lot when I'm like in way doctor's waiting room. Do you like, like that. reading books on the iPhone? It really isn't bad. It really isn't. Uh, you know, I'm a voracious reader, and I just can't. I, I keep saying that I don't think uh, I would like the iPhone to read, but yet I use it to browse websites and, and read that way. So what's the difference? Yeah, I find it a little bit more difficult to go on the website, but reading on the Kindle app, is, to me, it's nothing. I mean, because you can adjust the text size. So if your eyes aren't as good or if you're in uh, you know, an area that doesn't have good light or something, yeah. you can just make the text larger. And what's nice is it does sync up with my Kindle. Hmm. So you like the Kindle, too, I take it. Oh, I love the Kindle. You're, you're just uh, a, a, the, the geekiest person I know right now. You have a oh, Kindle, an iPhone, really a MacBook. Geeky. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Idea. I've got one, two. I've got four iPods. So wow, four. Are they yeah. all different generations? I have second generation, twenty gig brick. <laughs> wire that you only the only way that you could um, charge it is the FireWire plug yep. and plug it in the wall. I've got the classic, which is sixty gig. I have an iPod Touch first gen, and I've got the iPhone. Well, now, what do you need an iPod Touch if you have an iPhone? Or did you buy that one well, first? I, I had. I got the iPod Touch free 
when I bought the MacBook because I was still a college student. Gotcha. You know, which is nice. You know, I went back to school and so I was able to get a discount. And then I ended up buying one for my father, too. So he gave my son the iPod Touch. Hmm. So he was happy. How, how did you get into technology? Um, I don't know. My first Mac I bought in 1992 when my oldest son was in second grade. And I only bought a Mac because that's what the schools used. I really didn't know the difference between buying a Mac, buying a Windows computer. Mm -hmm. I just said, well, I'm just going to buy what the school uses because it makes sense. And I started reading, um, what did I read? Mac Mac Home Journal. Oh, yeah. Yep. I read that. I read Macworld. And I just learned. And I would just open windows and close windows and just to see where things were. And it was just so much easier. So the computers were the gateway to technology for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, to, to me, it was stereo equipment when I was a teenager. You know, power boosters in the car and the old 1970 mm-hmm. Chevy and uh, new speakers and stuff like that. And to me, it just kind of segued into computers. It felt like it's just technology, and it just kind of went together. Um, but there's just no way I could have got computers back then. <laughs> it was just way out of my price reach, and my parents are still technophobes, so they they were helpless. They, they weren't going to help me. Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I told my father. He kept saying to me, oh, look, this computer's on sale. Oh, look what they're doing with Windows. Oh, look what they're doing here. And he had web TV at the time, which was a nightmare. And I finally said to him, buy a Mac. Will you just buy a computer already? Oh, I don't need one. I said, listen, you go online, you check email, you check websites. If you buy a Windows computer, you're on your own. I will not help you. <laughs> if you buy a Mac, I'll go with you to the store. I'll set it up for you, and I'll be your tech I've used that same thing myself yeah. on relatives. And you know the thing is they don't they never regret it afterwards. Oh yeah, he loves it. We just got him. He had a um an iMac G3. And last year right after I bought my MacBook, I said, "You've got to buy a new computer because he was still running OS 9. He couldn't get on certain websites. It was slow." I said, "Let's go to the Apple store." So he got a 20-inch iMac. Mm. And all he would do was call me afterwards and say, "Oh my god, this screen is gorgeous." So those are the two conversations we had with our lucky contest winners. And I think we're going to have more contests here in the near future, guys. I I really enjoy them. In fact, right now I'm having a contest on Twitter with one of our sponsors for the website, Trans International. I'm giving away um, hard drives. So if you guys listening to the podcast want a chance to win a hard drive for free, no shipping and handling, shipped to your door, brand new, still in the box, uh, follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash mymac, uh, shockingly enough. And uh, <laughs> just look for the announcements and, and follow the rules, and you're entered into the contest. One of the things you that said, I didn't yeah. do, guys, I don't make people follow me. You know, I think that's kind of crass. If you want a chance to win this, you're going to have to follow me on Twitter. Don't you think that's kind of crass? Yeah. Well, it, it, it's that, you know, there's a... There's a certain mentality sometimes on Twitter. It's about, you know, who's got the most followers. Yeah, right. well, Scott Moore uh, is doing that. He's having a, a yeah. really big contest, and he's got just, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. But I don't want anybody to follow me who doesn't want to read what I'm writing or that's not interested in either the website or the podcast or me personally. Those, those right. are the people that they I want to I just want some kind of prize. Right. Yeah, I mean, people like Bourne are... are you know, they're hoping one day to be able to monetize it. And yes. the more followers they have, the more followers they've got to advertise to. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't 
think that that kind of is what Twitter is about. It's about the conversation. It's not about um, necessarily advertising directly to everybody who follows you because they want more from you than just that. Absolutely. And, and the only reason I'm using Twitter, number one, I love Twitter. Number two, it was the easiest thing I could come up with. And number three, the people at Trans International are really good people. They've been an advertiser on MyMac.com for, I think, six years now. At least. At least. I mean, you know, we've worked with them hand-in-hand for a long time. They simply don't have the time to get on Twitter and start promoting themselves and that sort of thing. So I said, why don't we do a contest? Um, I'll run it. You guys don't have to do anything. But we'll give away some hard drives. And they were up for it, and we went and did it. What is that guy? That's Hold on. Stupid! That, that, it's that laser printer you gave me. Oh, sure. Blame it's it a, on me. Yeah, well, See, it just it's, suddenly it's decided fault. it needed to talk. I'm in Michigan, so, you're in well, Virginia, and it's my fault that background noises It didn't are sound like a laser printer. It sounded like an old dot matrix printer. It sounded like someone jumping on some old spring mattress is what it sounded like. Okay, you busted me. I always podcast while jumping on a spring mattress. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, why I sound like this all the time? <laughs> I, so once again, I do want to thank uh, Trans International for doing the contest on Twitter, and I want to thank Mac Ally for supplying two of the laptop stands. So we're giving a lot of stuff away, and that's always a fun thing. Next week we do have uh, Annette Benke, and I think that's how yeah B E N K I E. That's a, yeah. that's Benke, right? Yeah, I so, think so. I think so too. We got her as a listener invite, so I'm looking forward to that. Remember, if any of you listening want to be on the show as part of our listener invite episodes, send an email to um, feedback at mymac.com, and we'll schedule you in because we just love meeting new people, and it's just a big, fun, happy community. Speaking of community, I've got my buddies with me, David, Guy. Let's talk some Mac stuff. Cool. Um, what's going on in the Mac world? Is there any? I mean... One of the things that David and I were kind of battling back and forth about was, I don't remember what show it was. It was another podcast, and I want to say it was MacBreak Weekly, but it might have been Twit. I think I think it was Twit, actually. Okay, it was Twit. And they were talking about David Pogue, and I found it a really interesting conversation, but because they're so big egos and invested in that show when you listen to it. No. Yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about it here, putting all that aside. Now, full disclosure, MyMac.com has had a really good relationship, especially John Nemirovsky, with David Pogue for years. In fact, the first interview I ever did in the downloadable edition of MyMac magazine back in, I think, 1996 was with David Pogue. Uh, I had done a book review of his. And I, you know, I can't even. I think it was Macintosh Secrets or something like that for System Seven Point Five. I mean, that shows you how long ago it was. And uh, I emailed him Seven Point Five because in the yeah, there in in the book he actually had his email address. So I emailed him asking if he'd be interested in doing an interview in conjunction with my review, which I had already written and it was done. And I think I gave it five out of five at the time. I mean, it was a fantastic book. It was a very conversationalist type of approach. You know, the two authors that were involved in it, the writing was them talking back and forth a lot. And I really, really dug it. And kind of reminds me of that, uh, this that podcast. Ser- <laughs> oh no, that, that series that, uh, that John Nemo and I did called uh, problem solving guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very similar. 
uh, except for those two guys really knew how to write. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> but uh, so I did an interview with him via email. Right. And so we've had a great relationship with David Polk for a long time. But the conversation that I heard on Twit, it really did kind of raise some questions. Run. And so, so here, do you want to take over for a little bit, David, and explain? Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 the debate was about um, objectivity and impartiality. Uh, and the point was made fairly strongly that um, the David Pogue write book, writes books for Apple Press. Um, and obviously, David Pogue and, and guys like him and Walt Mossberg and there's a few others. Andy we Nutt should Pogue. say that David Pogue, for those who don't know, because let's not assume everyone does, yeah. is a technology writer for the New York Times, an ex-Macworld magazine writer. Right. Um, yeah. A very talented he's, writer. He's the New York Times reviewer as well. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he's but their it, main, he's their main tech reviewer. He, he and he has a very very close relationship with Apple, a, a, a relationship with Apple that most most people in the tech press don't have. And it's it very predates few people, his time at the New York Times as well. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. But but you know, very few people. There is only a few names. Guys like um, Walt Mossberg at the um, at the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal, Journal. Uh, Andy Nakashiga sometimes, who mm. is a contributor to Twit and MacBreak Weekly, and um, he was you know, remarkably absent from that conversation. Well, he wasn't. Well, on he, Twit. He, yeah, he's, he's not on Twit normally. Uh, it's fairly rare for him to be on Twit. He's normally a regular on MacBreak Weekly. Well, but the point the point is is that is that those three in particular have this relationship with Apple that means that they get. Um, Access to hardware and software before the rest of us do. Well, not usually Andy and Atco. I would say you'd probably want to leave him out of that because he doesn't seem to be in favor. They, he, Steve he Jobs had, he had pick, an he had an he had an iPhone three GS before it was launched. Yes, but he doesn't have access to Steve Jobs that the other guys do. No, uh, I mean David Pogue interviewed Steve Jobs just after the recent iPod event, yep. so that you know indicates his level of access. So these guys. They have a relationship with Apple that, that not many people have. They get um, inside track information on what Apple's doing. Not, not you know, months in advance, but certainly maybe a week in advance or a couple of weeks in advance Ac- sometimes. Access to uh, technology before the rest of us does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the, really the, the debate on Twit was about um, how impartial can uh, would would you know material about Apple uh, and other companies be from somebody like that. Bearing in mind as well that they also have a financial interest in a company like Apple because uh, David Pogue in particular writes books for Apple Press. I mean, he writes a lot of books for, on a lot of different topics, but, you know, he's well known for his for his Apple work. Yep. Um, and so, the you know, the question was how impartial, uh, how objective is somebody who's in that position? Uh, and I think it's interesting, you know, this is Jermaine... To, uh, to us here at MyMac, I just published a review of um, a product from Otherworld Computing, the uh, Voyager Q uh, hard drive dock, and I gave it a 5 out of 5. Yep, now, some World, people could say, wow, that's your big advertiser, and you're always speaking exactly. glowingly of them on the podcast, and hmm, imagine that, they get a great review on the website as well. Yeah, no, I'm quite happy to answer any questions that anybody would like to raise with me via, via email or However, they want to get in touch with me about that review, and uh, I'll, I'll justify and back up my position. I actually like that product so much that when um, 
Otherworld Computing, after I finished the review, uh, asked me to send it back. I said, look, can I buy it from you? Because I really don't want to send it back. I've come to rely on it too much. Yeah, I uh, did the same thing with the, the two gigabyte or two terabyte drive that, that yeah. I reviewed. It was such a great drive. It was like, can, can I just keep it, please? Can I just send yeah. you some money and you let me keep it? That's right. Exactly. So, um, but obviously... To some people, there could be a question mark in their mind about the objectivity of our reviews when we're reviewing um, equipment from somebody who's a big sponsor of the show. Let me so, uh, pause you there, and uh, let me address the OWC issue as far as MyMac.com is concerned and this podcast. Because when it comes to MyMac.com um, and questions, I have the ultimate answers because I happen to own both of them. I had a conversation uh, two days ago with Grant. Grant's one of the head guys over there at Otherworld Computing. And the topic came up about conflicts of interest. And I I don't want to get into any more discussion on what we were talking about. It wasn't MyMac related. But I told Grant, and uh, straight up, I said, you know, if you sent us a product for review... And it was horrible. We're going to publish a review that says this is crap. Yeah. And I understand that you guys wouldn't be happy with it. And I also understand that you are a sponsor, but sponsorship advertising is surrounded by a 50 foot brick wall that has absolutely nothing to do with the content of our site, including reviews. The two do not in mingle at all in other words if we're going to lose them as a sponsor because a negative review the option isn't okay we just won't write the review or we'll make the review better than what it really should be the only option we have is we lose them as an advertiser if they're unhappy with us because of it yep there is no other option no and that and that wouldn't that wouldn't change the outcome of any future reviews either. None, not at all. Um, and you could email any one of our reviewers and ask what the policy is. And the policy is very clear: you always yeah. write the review according to your opinion, irregardless of any financial state or status another company may have in advertising or anything or yeah. any partnerships or anything. And you. Know, Quite honestly, if David, you would have wrote that review and um, you would have gave it a low mark and I wrote and I had the same thing and I wrote a review of it as well. We publish both reviews. We give you both opinions. One person said it was good. One person said it was bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, No. But there is a, a firm separation between money and content, it, it's never broken. And the reason for and when I told Grant this, he was like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, we'd be disappointed, but, you know, you you always have to be true to what you guys are. Because if you're not, the readers are going to see it really, really quick. Yeah. And that brings us back to David Pogue, who does a lot of product reviews. And then a month later, he comes out with a book on how to use that product. And I think it's completely... Number one, I think David Pogue has ethics. And in his particular case, I'll say that 
I'm going to to lean his direction and say that, you know, I believe he's going to do the ethical thing. But that's my personal opinion. Yeah, that's a, that's an opinion that I'd share from from my reading of of his work and and I've not I don't have any sort of relationship with him at all. Uh, unlike you, Tim, uh, I've never I've never spoken or interacted with him directly. I only have a um, few times. John Nemo, uh, our reviews editor, has had more contact with David by yeah. far than I have. But to be fair, I mean, none of us know him. But I mean, he's not like a friend of ours. No, he's somebody not. we've known. You no. know, people have known professionally. Absolutely. Um, and and certainly from my reading of his work, I've always found it to be very even-handed. I think even when he is giving something a positive review, he will work fairly hard to dig in, to dig under the skin of the products and say, well, these are some things that could be improved. These are some things that don't work so well. And when, when he states something that says, you know, this, this could be better, but it's not a big deal. It's not, it's not a deal breaker. He's fairly, he's fairly plain about saying, well, that's his opinion. Um, and he's still highlighted the potential flaw um, so he's giving full disclosure to his reader about, you know, this is a fault that, or a potential fault or a weakness in a product he's identified, and it might be bigger to you than it is to him, and you, you need to bear that in mind. So effectively, he's giving you all the information. I think the fact that he's writing, in, in some cases, writing a book about, you know, getting secrets or the absolute best out of a particular Apple product, it probably means his, his reviews are stronger than anybody else's because he really knows the thing inside out. Possibly, but um, then what do you say about... He did that musical about him wanting his iPhone. Remember that? Yeah. Um, and it was very clever, and yes, it was tongue-in-cheek, and it wasn't to be taken very seriously, but how do you feel about that if you're Microsoft and David Pogue from the New York Times is wanting to review the new Zune HD? But well, he he did write a review of the Zoom HD. Right. And she gave it a fairly positive review. Right, but and in I, fact, I, I think I think most most of the tech I've been reading on the on reading up on the Zoom HD, most of the people of that sort of caliber have given the Zoom HD a very even-handed and positive review, and have actually avoided pointing out the most obvious flaw that something like the Zoom HD has, which is <laughs> it doesn't have an app store. Yes, it's uh, it is basically it's a yesterday's product. It's the best i it's the best iPod killer that's ever been made. Um, that's still I'm, not saying much. But uh, well, well, no, it is. Uh, no, to be fair, I think it is. Without having seen it myself, I think it probably is a better iPod than Apple has ever made. But it, it's missed the point that Apple is not in the business of making iPods anymore. They're in the business of making sub, uh, products that are wider. Yeah, they've moved than, on to the next generation. Microsoft exactly. just came out with a product that yeah. doesn't compete with the current Apple products. And it is competes. better than yeah. what Apple was doing three years ago. Exactly. Okay, well, have you have you guys heard about this? Apparently, you know that there's like eight or nine free applications that come with the device. Uh, on the games, before the game actually starts, you get like a fifteen to thirty second video commercial. Yeah, and I think that that's something that potential buyers need to be aware of. Um, yeah. If you're going to play a game for free. Every time you launch it, you're going to have to watch a commercial. And you don't necessarily have to watch it. You can turn it around and you know not pay attention. But it's going to play a commercial. Um, yeah. I don't have a problem with that if the person owning the device doesn't have a problem with that. I personally don't want to have to go through that. No, neither do I. Yeah. Especially for yeah. the... Yeah, but that's just my personal opinion. 
Um, yeah. I don't think there's but, anything inherently evil or wrong with that, though, guy. Oh, I'm no. not saying that it's evil, but I mean, I just, I you know, when you have a product like the Zune, and you know, and the Zune, for the most part, in my opinion, has gotten kind of a bad rap. You know, its biggest problem was it came out in the middle of the iPod juggernaut. Yep. So, and the first version wasn't very good compared to the iPod at the same time. Well, yeah, but it was it was a, it was a decent first try, but. When when you're doing a relaunch, when when you're spending millions of dollars, and you're doing a relaunch of a product that that didn't do that well the first time, uh huh. You know these having an ad before and you can play a game is just not something that that's going to add to the user experience. It is if the yeah, games that- are free. I mean. Oh yeah, but I mean, what do games cost on 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 the iPhone and the iPod Touch? Well, Typically depends. ninety nine cents, dollar ninety nine for them. I mean, most of them. So but I, I th- yeah, but I think I think the, the thing there is that Microsoft has a has a very different ethos about their products. Yes, they're not as usability focused as Apple are. They're not interested so much in the things that that upset their buyers. They're interested in supporting their business model, and they defined what that business model is. Well, and this, but the Zune HD is all about. They've been quite front. It's all about music and video. Anything else is is just a side issue. So um, as far as they're concerned, if if people don't like seeing an ad before they play a free game, they're just not going to play the free game. It's not a core part of the business model for that product. So and and that's fine. It's it's just something different, and we'll see how it goes. We'll see whether it. It is a bigger product than the previous Zooms are. I know it probably will be, but I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, a real strong competitor to the iPod. I think I think there are other things that may may be in the future, but not not the Zoom HD. But I, I, we're moving away from sort of the original topic, which yes. is, you know, um, well, let me say guys this. Like Dave- Do you think then, with David Pogue having a financial interest and in people buying his books? Do you think there's a conflict of interest there if he's reviewing those products for the New York Times? And thus, if you were the New York Times, would David Pogue be your first choice to review an Apple product, knowing his history with Apple, knowing he has such a close relationship with Steve Jobs, and also knowing that you you never see him ask Steve Jobs the hard questions, ever. And nor will you ever see that. So is well, there you a won't, you won't there? see any... You won't see you won't see anybody ask Steve Jobs the hard questions because his PR agents will not let you ask and him he, a difficult question. And he'll, and he'll, he'll just, just get, get up and, and walk, walk out. out. Yeah. So so that is that is not necessarily a criticism. I think that you can level at anybody because Steve Jobs just doesn't do that. He just doesn't take. He doesn't up. have to. You know, and it would be nice if if now, wait he a minute. would so, sit down. So we're saying then that if you're going to ask Steve Jobs any questions, you have to play the Steve Jobs. By his rules. Yeah. Well, then what kind of a journalist are you if, if that's how you're going to go into it to begin with? If you're well, going to say, well, th- I can't ask the real questions my readers really want to know. They Steve Jobs is only going to let me ask the fluff questions. And because I still want access, okay, I'll just ask the fluff questions. What does that it, say well, the about skill, the journalists? And- the, the, well, the skill is, is actually is, is, is couching the question in such a way that while it is... It looks fluffy, it has a hard core, and I, I think the best journalists are capable of doing that and, and can push towards a topic. What well, could David Pope or, do that, or, Well, well uh, now you're I, getting I'm into not, a matter of opinion. 
yeah, that's 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 getting into into the deep specifics. I certainly believe that that a journalist of his experience should be able to do that. And the first thing you need to be able to do if you if you want to do that is have the access. So it is a fine line to to be struck. I, anybody, I mean, let's face it, anybody can stand up and throw shoes at somebody or make a state <laughs> make a statement at Thank somebody. Thank you, Mr. That, President. You know, exactly. Anybody can do that, but you're going to end up not, not being in front of that person in the future. So there is a balance to be struck. And um, What do you think like about De- someone like Malt Wasberg, who... Wait, did you just say Malt Wasberg? Walt Mossberg, <laughs> who runs his own who's, who's it, All who's Things D. Who is it who calls him Goatberg? Goatberg. Uh, I think um, I think that's a fake Steve Jobs calls him Goatberg, isn't I it? I think so. The beard. So um, he runs this conference where it, it's very valuable for companies to get up on stage. I mean, I see a conflict there as well. Do you think there's too much conflict that a lot of these publications are allowing these conflicts to exist, whereas they would not have let this stay? I can't see the New York Times doing this back in the 70s and the 80s. Well, what was what's the difference between the seventies and the eighties and now? Um, I don't know. I think that's a good question. The di- I, well, I, I, can, I can give you an answer. And, do you think journalism integrity is what it was then? Is what it is now? It's it's not a question no. of integrity. It, it's it's a question of whether or not this newspaper is going to survive. And yeah, right now there are newspapers that are folding all over the world because they're losing their readers. So when you've got someone like David Pogue who brings in, you know, for lack of a better term, let's call it the, the rock star approach where, where people look for his columns and people are going to buy the newspaper simply because he's in it, you end up giving him a lot more latitude than you would have 20, 30 years ago where you would have thrown a guy that had this kind of conflict of interest. And it is a conflict of interest out on his ass. Well, or at least not let him cover those particular companies or products. Well, no, I think I stand by my original statement. I think that uh, if if this kind of stuff had gone on thirty years ago, that they would no longer have a job with that newspaper. And, but, and also, I, I think there's if you look at let's stick with David Pogue specifically. In my opinion, I think the reason that he has um, maintained the relationship with Apple uh, and doesn't maintain that exactly that same relationship with Microsoft. Um, and I don't know whether he's written Windows books. I'm sure he must have done. Um, I'm sure he's as well up on Windows and Microsoft products as he as he is on on Apple. But the reason he's maintained that relationship with Apple is because he knows that's what people want to read about. He knows that that's the that, that Apple is the hot company and Microsoft right. is not the hot company. And, and, so and his editors know that as well. He's reflecting the interests of his readership. And um, when he does the iPhone spoofs and that sort of thing, he's he's riffing on the fact that that there is a buzz around that particular company. Does that make him um, less objective than than you know a hard nosed reporter from thirty years ago? Probably a little bit, but we're not talking about hard corners here. We're talking about right. stuff that actually, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, we're, we're not, not we're not talking about Watergate. This this is simply right. tech, you know, technology that people are going to spend a little bit of money on, and you know they either will or they won't get some kind of enjoyment out of it. Now, as far as as far as David Pogue goes, you know, I, I, I've read some of his stuff in the New York Times online, and I, I've read some of the stuff he's written in his books, 
And it, it looks to me that, you know, regardless of what I've said before, journalistic integrity, blah, 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 that, that he does have, uh, he, he is able to remain relatively unbiased, that he has called out Apple in the past for things that they've done that were, you know, less than savory. And I think that's worth pointing out. And I, don't, and I hope that if David Pogue actually listens to this podcast, and he very well may, that he doesn't feel like we're beating Dang him up. Yeah, and that I'm, we're using David Pogue as an example. Yeah. And Absolutely. I'm willing to put myself into the same hot seat as I'm putting him right now. Uh, yeah. From my personal experience... I think that the reason this really hasn't come up before is because if you look at the stuff that he's done in the past, I don't think that he is going to suffer from any lapse of judgment. No, I don't think so either. And I, I think he's firmly rooted in doing and saying and writing what he really believes. And irregardless of what Apple may feel, or anybody, or anybody else. else, I think that he'll do the right thing. And yeah. I say that because, yeah, we've we've had a close relationship with him over the years. We review his books uh, in, in his, what is it, the uh, Missing Manual series. And he doesn't write all of them, obviously. But we, we do a lot of reviews on those. And we're just as fair and objective to those as we are to anybody else, like Scott Shelby or Bob Levitas or anybody or else. Or Chris Ebold. Or Chris Ebold. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's it's one of those things that you do have to. Well, that's another. Well, that's a whole different. That's a whole different argument. We we did a review of Chris's book, and I was hesitant to publish that review. Now, Bakari wrote the review, and Bakari doesn't know Chris Seabolt from Adam. any at the time. He does now, but at the time he wrote the review, he didn't, and. Because Chris had such a, a, a long history with MyMac, I, I was a little uncomfortable about publishing a review. Well, and also not, not, not to mention that both uh, my brother Larry and I both had sections within the book. So yeah. I stayed completely out of it. Yeah, and so I had some problems about publishing that review. We did run it, but I, I let it be known that, you know... We have to be completely, we have to be more than fair. We we have to go out of our way to make sure that this is going to be an accurate review and that there's absolutely no bias. And you just have to, A, I think there's a lot of trust involved. If The readers are either going to trust what we're doing or they're not. And if they don't trust us already, they're never going to. And if they do, yeah. they do because we've earned that trust, I feel. And I yeah. think David Pogue and writers like that and pundits of his caliber are exactly in the same boat. You either trust what they're doing or you don't. Yeah. And if you trust them, it's because they've earned that trust over the years. And I think David Pogue and Walt Mossberg absolutely have earned that trust. You know, when I read their stuff, I do think that they're being very fair and balanced. And in terms of in terms of their relationship for book writing, I mean, I don't believe that people in the tech industry make a lot of money off these books. No, you they don't. must. They Trust require enormous. Yeah, they require <laughs> I'm, enormous. I'm an author. I know. Yeah, you don't make. They a lot. require enormous amount of writing effort. Um, you know, many many months of of hard work, and then the sales don't really. You know, and and what reflect you get paid, that. 
Well, the sales the sales are okay, but the the real the royalties that the authors they get paid don't reflect the amount of work that's gone in. No, so, not usually. Even though David Pogue has written a lot of these missing manual books, I'm sure he's not make, getting rich off them. Now, I think one thing that you do need to think about is that most journalists that I've ever met who are well known do the speaking circuit thing. You know, they do keynote speeches, they do um, company specific presentations they do dinner speeches and that sort of thing that can be very lucrative and in some circumstances when you're paid as a um as a direct um corporate speaker to open a keynote event or that that a corporation is actually running then there may be some questions about your objectivity there as well the same sort of thing and certainly that is that is probably more of an income generator than than writing books oh, i don't know whether um any of the people we're talking about have ever done stuff for Apple. I wouldn't have thought so because Apple are not really that sort of thing. But certainly they may have appeared at, at uh, or, um, Macworld and that sort of thing. And they're paid for those appearances. So, it's a, again, it's another thing. And, and no, no journalist can be completely objective all the time. They can, they can deliberately try to be objective, but everybody has their own inbuilt tiny little biases and that sort of thing. Sure. And and you can't filter that out. And and I think there is a responsibility on the reader uh, or the or the person who's listening to, to their speeches and that sort of thing just to keep that in the back of their mind uh, and, and recognize that for what it is without actually looking on it as a, as a failing or a criticism. Yep, I agree. It's, it's a balancing act, and I think that you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. The difficulty is, is that because of the internet has allowed the what's called the citizen journalist to rise up there's plenty of bloggers out there who have no journalist training and um, no no consideration or even thought about whether they should be objective or not and they will quite happily trash a product they've never even seen or touched yep. just because it's from a company they don't particularly admire and that has brought the whole level of critical debate about um, reviews and writing I think down to a a point where people can sometimes be very doubtful about objectivity, but you shouldn't put the more respected, experienced people in the same boat. And you would hope that those sorts of lofty standards would be maintained by by the editorial workflow they have to work through. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up this subject. Uh, we do want to uh, put an invite out there to David Pogue. If he would like to come on the show here in the near future to talk about this, we'd love to have him on. Uh, I know, John Nemo, you're listening to this, so maybe you'll send a, an email over to uh, Mr. Pogue, and, and I think he would probably enjoy talking about it myself. But before we wrap up, we do need to do a, a quick commercial this week for Otherworld Computing. We're, MaxSales.com. Uh, MaxSales.com. Uh, number one, Guy Searle and I are going to be going there uh, about a month from now, a l- yeah. l- little over a month. I'm really looking forward to that, Guy. We're going to do some really fun video stuff. Yep. It's going to be a good time. Um, what did you pick this week, David? Um, this was a very interesting product. I was very excited to receive an email from them saying this was going on sale. This is the Mercury on the go 64 gigabyte SSD external drive. Um, now, Mercury on the go is, is one of their standard products offerings. It's their portable hard, hard drive enclosure and we, we I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago yep. um, where you could buy just the hard drive enclosure on its own what they've done is they've combined that with a, a 64 gigabyte solid state drive Very 64 fast. gig 
Yeah. yeah. 64 gigabyte, not a huge amount of storage. Um, but the point is, is that, uh, yes, yeah, solid state drives have some particular advantages. They're extremely low power. Um, they're com- very, very robust because there's no moving parts, and they're also very, very fast. These, now, especially, this, uh, especially when uh, when when matched up with uh, Firewire 800 or 400. Well, exactly, yeah, and that's, that's one of the things so. about these. Yeah, that's one of the great things about these these enclosures is you have USB 2 and both Firewire variants built into enclosure, which is fairly rare in my experience. Yes. Um, not these enclosures are, are, are one or the other, um, but to have all three in one is is, is pretty good value. Uh, and there's some some stats that we'll put, put the page in the in the website page in the show notes. But there's some pretty impressive stats for um, for this drive. You know, two and a half faster boot, uh, two and a half times faster boot time, 120 times faster seek time over conventional drives. Now think so about this that for a minute. If you're doing video work and you need Instead of saving the dry the the video project you're working on to your internal hard drive, imagine right, using it, it as a this. scratch disk. Oh, absolutely, man. fast. Yeah, fast. Yeah. So and now now obviously solid state drive is is fairly new technology. So these are more expensive the, than you would pay for an equivalent hard drive. It's two hundred eighty dollars. But if you need fast storage, uh, robust storage, highly reliable storage. Um, and you need that in external form factor, then this is definitely something you want to take a long, hard look at. Absolutely, yep. And uh, I kind of want one, but when it comes to solid-state drives, I'm kind of holding out until they get cheaper and bigger. Yep. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm I'm still on conventional hard drives, and I probably will be for the next couple of years. But I do see by 2012, 2013, I, I can completely see all my hard drives will be solid-state. It'll I mean, with solid-state drive, you could almost do an instant boot-up. Could you imagine that on your computer? Hit the button, and it starts up just as fast as your TV. Solid-state drives are the way that's going to happen. We're never going to get there with conventional hard drives. So, no. With that, we're going to wrap up uh, show 258. Please join us next week. It's wi- Listener Invite with Annette Benke. And, uh, we hope that's her name. Yeah, that's her name. <laughs> quite, quite, quite sure. All right. In the meantime, congratulations again to our winners of the contest. We'll do another one soon. Make sure you follow us on uh, Twitter because, hey, we're giving away hard drives. It's uh, twitter.com slash mymac. David Cohen is David B. Cohen. And Guy is? Mac Parrot. See, I keep wanting to say Mac Hippie, and that would be I know. Well, I said that once, and it was wrong. (laughs) So with that, we're out of here. We'll see you next week. Thanks for downloading and listening to the mymac.com podcast. 